0: Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name is Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel, and today we're trying to get to the bottom of why almost 85% of the ASX 200 CEOs are either invisible, inactive, or ineffective on LinkedIn. It's a big number. and this was one of the key findings in Propel's recent digital reputation report, where we analyzed the LinkedIn activities of all CEOs from the ASX 200, as Australia's 200 largest listed organizations by market cap, for those who don't know, and after sifting through almost 12 months of data, the label that best described this collective was the silent majority. Sure, 88% of those CEOs have a LinkedIn profile, but more than half, yes, 52%, posted just once or not at all over the entire year. And at a time when staff, candidates, customers, investors, and more, they're all using social media more and looking to these leaders for guidance, we need to find a way to activate this leadership audience so that when stakeholders look on LinkedIn, they see more than silence. So why is this happening? What's missing in the narrative around executive use of social media that means so many still choose to stay silent? And what could be done to build confidence, capability, and activity among key leaders across the country? I'm very fortunate to be joined by Matthew Abbott on the show today, unpacking the report, exploring the reasons why we see such low levels of participation, and most importantly, discussing how we can change this current state to hear more from our best leaders. Matthew is a long-time corporate affairs advisor that has worked with Zipco, the Australian corporate watchdog ASIC, and with Westfield founder Sir Frank Lowy. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me on the Your Digital Reputation podcast.
1: Hi, Roger. Great to be here.
0: I really appreciate it and very keen to get your perspective on things. As someone who has had a wide-ranging career in the communications and, and public affairs and corporate affairs space, this is a topic that really hits, I'm sure, many of the experiences you've had along the way. And, and I want to start, I suppose, by getting straight to that that key stat. Why do you think almost 85% of ASX 200s are either invisible, inactive, or ineffective on LinkedIn? Yeah,
1: it's a good it's a good question, isn't it? Um I've thought about this a little bit and I suppose from my point there's a few factors. I think uh, one of the things is it really depends on who the company is. So most recently I worked at Zipco, which was a global buy now, pay now a company, whose the key stakeholders for their business model was consumers, i.e. they're a finance company. Um but also merchants, they made money for merchants. So, And they were a disruptor in the, in the fintech space. So, And they were big users of social media, particularly LinkedIn, and particularly uh, one of the founders, uh, Larry Diamond. The business was founded by two guys, Larry Diamond and Peter Gray. Larry Diamond's a young bloke, about 40, uh, from Sydney. Uh, Peter's you know, probably 10 years older. Uh, and La- Larry was a big user of social media, big user of LinkedIn. Um, but I think for a business like them, they needed to be seen to be um, in embracing social media and embracing new ways of communicating. So I think that's very important. Like if you're a listed company that sells widgets and you're a B two B proposition and you put out your results to the ASX, you know, um, twice a year, you probably think you don't need to have a you don't have a massive need for a presence on on social media, and maybe. You feel like you you don't need to be sort of commenting on all manner of things, um, so that that's one thing. I think it really depends on what sort of company you are and whether you have a um, whether you need to be communicating with um, stakeholders who use and understand social media and understand LinkedIn. And I suppose when, when, when we refer to link, LinkedIn, for many corporates, LinkedIn is sort of the acceptable face of social media. I think most people recognise that. Twitter is a bit of a sewer, and they, you know, they, you don't want to get involved with Twitter. Um, although, when I was at the Australian Securities and Investments Commission, we used Twitter a lot, but we use it as another channel just to communicate all the announcements that ASIC would put out into the market. We never got into any two-way communication or, or very little. So, I think, yeah, back to the point about um, why these figures. I think it's 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 about what sort of company it is and what sort of scale, like. You know, I think probably the best users of LinkedIn would be the big banks and some of the CEOs in those big banks, particularly guys like sort of Shane Elliott, very good. They have sort of, they post a lot, they have a lot of followers and they use it in a very authentic way. But they can because their stakeholders are you know, people who need finance, people who need mortgages. They've got to be seen to be doing that. And also, you know, to to, to have good, authentic content um, on LinkedIn, you've got to have a team to support you. I mean, if you're running a $30 billion business, you don't really have a time to be sort of coming up with you know irreverent, meaningful um, posts to LinkedIn. You need sort of support to do it. In the same way 20 years ago as you might have had, a, you know, someone might have had a speech writer writing words for them. People now have sort of social media managers who curate content for them. Um, uh, so yeah, there's the scale, there's the top of the organisation. And I think also, uh, I think people are scared. I mean, y- you have a look at the sort of the woke sphere and um, I think people are scared of maybe saying something that's slightly not part of the orthodoxy and they don't want to get cancelled. Um, uh, so that's one thing. And also I think from the point of view of just using LinkedIn as a channel to engage with your investors, people are sort of, uh, are a bit timid about saying the wrong thing, and it, you know, having the ASX jump on their back or having an ASIC investigation on, on top of them. So, uh, so there's a couple of reasons there, yeah
0: they're all good or maybe I should say fair reasons. They're all very fair reasons as to why an executive, a CEO of an ASX listed company might say, you know, this this space isn't for me. What's interesting though, and maybe if I can just pick up on that last point about, you know, that wokeness and, and fear of saying the wrong thing and cancel culture and all that sort of uh, drama that goes along with it, is that it is interesting, or well, I find it interesting, that the response to that concern is to opt out and at the same time as opting out, you, you opt out of um, that environment, you also lose the right to then correct misinformation. And so, what is more risky in that sense in terms of uh, worried about saying the wrong thing that may be interpreted the wrong way or getting people offside versus opting out altogether and having other people control the narrative and the dialogue around your company, even unofficial voices And and so risk is a really interesting concept to unpack as part of this, Matthew, because what is risk in the context of LinkedIn participation today for leaders?
1: I think the the point you're making also is um, that, you know, you're pinpointing just the wider issue around uh, CEOs' understanding and regard for communications more generally and the use of public affairs and engaging and trying to sort of you know control or shape your external environment i mean linkedin is just one form of social media it's just a platform it's an important platform but i think the, the issue which I, I guess we're sort of hinting at is that, you know the, the wider preparedness of ceos to engage uh with their external environment and i think those who do it well are ones who might have important stakeholders i like, you know bank customers or m- ones who might have had a near-death experience maybe have been through a crisis and just thought this is a really important channel, we should use this and we can harness this very well. So like when I was at Zip, um, Larry Diamond was very active on, on uh, personally on LinkedIn, he, he's got about 40,000 followers. Um, he was always responding and posting stuff. And then we set up a, a, a Zip LinkedIn account um, and we would post a whole range of information. A lot of it was very personal about the company because three years ago when I first started Zip was in a a major global expansion phase, buying a business in America, setting up businesses in England, the Middle East, Central uh, Europe. Um, And we were in the hunt for talent. And, you know, we, uh, and the youngsters, the young engineers and the young customer service people who we wanted to hire, um, they wanted to hear about the sort of company we were. So a lot of the material that Zip posted was about um, celebrating... Um, religious moments, cultural holidays. Like just last week, they posted something on Martin Luther King Day. They've got a big operation in America. Um, you know, um, Eid, Ramadan, Diwali, that kind of stuff. And celebrating when staff are doing something really well or someone's giving a speech. So it's kind of inwardly focused. And I think that's quite important. But, um, but then you run up against other questions about, you know, what, if you and that's all that stuff is very non-controversial, but sometimes if you are out in that public square saying things publicly via LinkedIn, you have to make those assessments of, are we going to comment on this issue or that issue? So, like, for instance, a lot of companies have come out recently through their social media channels on discussing the voice to parliament, um, which is a big major issue around Indigenous public policy, but it's not without controversy. And I think... um, it's an issue which uh, corporations need to sort of wrestle with. And this is all about exercising their judgment. Because I suppose the, the, the big thing about using any sort of social media as a company or as a CEO is, you know, why are we doing this? How will this further the company's strategic goals? I mean, CEOs aren't doing it just for the hell of it. Um, uh, they're doing it, you know, these guys are working. These When I say guys, men and women, these people are working, you know, 25 hours a day. To deliver you know returns for their shareholders and if they do get on social media it's done with a very clean strategic uh imperative which is to you know yeah it's just communications is a a tool to help organizations achieve their strategic goals and that's that's important to always remember that
0: I, i agree with that and i want to go back to something you said right at the start too in terms of this idea of Um, there is a bit of horses for courses in terms of those who would naturally find themselves looking at platforms like LinkedIn as a way to communicate and engage, and others who might say, maybe this isn't our immediate need. What you've touched on there is, I would argue, the universal need for every single leader across every single organization around this country and the globe, and that is talent. And there is a truth that if you are looking to engage talent, we must recognize where that talent is looking. That talent, is they're Googling CEOs, they're Googling their line managers, and they're trying to find out what they possibly can around these people to inform their decision around where to work. So as much as there might be all this activity, particularly around the start of the new year, candidates themselves are digitally savvy and they are the ones out there looking and they're the ones doing their research. So if that is true, then what you were describing there with Zip in terms of what is the role of the leader versus what is the role of the brand company page, if we can call it that way, Well, leaders are naturally going to attract a lot more attention than a brand organically. Without paid media spend, leaders on LinkedIn will attract infinitely more interest than brand pages. That's just a simple truth. It's the way the algorithm works. So because of that, if the leaders are attracting attention, if they're the ones inspiring or potentially inspiring audiences, what they can also do is explore issues like you were saying, social issues, new product areas, new customer segments. They can explore those things individually rather than a, a company that's kind of locked into what it does. They, right. They've got a bit more license. And so mm. because of that, I think, and they can also get much more personal, obviously, than a mm. brand. Because of these things, there is a, a huge latent opportunity. That 85%, there is a latent opportunity there for those 85% of ASX CEOs to look at social media through a commercial lens with mm. talent as the driver. Mm. And, and so, yeah, I think to your point, that's the the kind of, um, the strategic imperative that i would put on the roadmap of any executive today is to say well if you want to be
1: visible and relevant with talent this is the environment to do so and I think probably social media is is what a website was 20 years ago or a brochure was 30 years ago you can't not have one um, but if you have one you can use, some people use them very well some people use them you know poorly but um, I think in this day and age you uh, and especially depending on the corporation, the style of corporation, you know, it's, it's something which needs to be addressed. Like, as a fintech disruptor, there's no way we can't we to be invisible on social media.
0: So you, it's a good point you make, and I think that there are, um, we still got to respect, I suppose, that there are organizations at different ends of the spectrum. And if I look at your career, I see two very clear um, entities that I would argue sit at different ends of the spectrum, which is ASIC and ZIP. So given that you sat at opposite ends of that spectrum and given their respective growth stages too, as you were saying, there was that hunger to hire, um, their brand voices, their market expectations, everything that goes along with those two entities, What are the different concerns or conversations you've had with leaders and maybe even just the key themes who who perhaps felt they shouldn't be active online or the reverse of that, knew that they should? What were the different conversations you've had?
1: So when I was at at ASIC, uh, I reported to a guy called Greg Medcraft, who was the chairman. Um, And the proposition I put to Greg and to the commissioners of of ASIC was we should use communications as a tool to... uh, to help shape the behaviour of all those groups that ASIC regulated, to try to shape their behaviour, to jawbone the market, to get them to comply with the law, and social media was an important channel. At ASIC, we didn't use LinkedIn so much; we used Twitter more. But this was a couple of years ago. But same sort of um, same sort of proposition. And you're yeah, being a public sector organ, being a regulator. You're a, you're a price t- you're a price maker. Um, and, um, but it was, but the wider proposition was Medcraft was, uh, he was, he had the appetite and the preparedness to engage with all those regulated populations to try to manage their expectations, to to let them understand what ASIC's expectations of them were and to try to shape their behaviour to get them to comply with the law. So whether that was giving a speech or giving a media interview to the Fin Review or, um, you know, um, doing a podcast and, and and then we would pump that out on on Twitter but you know um, that could easily be done via via LinkedIn um, I think asic uses uh, LinkedIn um, a lot more but look this this case this all came down to the preparedness of that one individual the, the chairman Greg Medcroft he was comfortable with it he saw it uh, he, he's a former investment banker who you know, understood the benefit of communication. Uh, you know, he used to talk about going and speaking to people when you don't need anything, anything from them. He, he, he'd say it was a non-deal roadshow, so he, he he understood intimately the benefit of communicating um, and and getting that message out there. Um, and at 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 Zip, as I as I explained, uh, Larry he too was a big user of social media, very big on on uh, on LinkedIn, um, and. Uh, and, and used it a lot and encouraged, uh, you know, uh, the Zip staff also to, to post stuff, share stuff, like stuff, you know, to really get the algorithm kicking along um, because it all, had, it all had the big strategic imperative of, hey, this will help, you know, um, uh, you know us get more, get more customers and get more merchants. Yeah, and,
0: and leaders certainly have that ripple effect, don't they? The, mm. the example they set is the example that's often followed mm. online because they mm. set those norms. I, I'm wondering, Matthew, in um, as you describe that, where and you touched on it before actually in terms of the overarching understanding or perhaps its valuing of communications and public affairs as disciplines, where do you feel like the greatest, um, not necessarily Zip and ASIC, even all the broader conversations you've had across industry as well? Where is the greatest concern or resistance coming from in terms of people who are responsible for, like you said, the conversations with Greg as an example there, people who are responsible for advising senior leaders around how they should or should not use these channels versus leaders themselves perhaps feeling um, they might be uh, lacking confidence or out of their depth in in this environment. Mm -hmm. Where do you feel resistance is coming from And, and perhaps more constructively, how can we unpack that?
1: So when I used to work at Westfield, um, I, I worked a lot with uh, Stephen Lowy, Sir Frank Lowy's son, who was the CEO in Australia. And um, this was kind of before social media. But Stephen, he used to always say, "Let's let the numbers speak for themselves." He wasn't didn't want to be out there commenting on things or, you know, um, sticking his head up. He, he he would he would engage with media to explain the results, um, and uh, and that was just his point of view. Um, but I think I've always, in my career, I've gone along, I think the, the most important stakeholder you've got as a corporate affairs practitioner is the person you report to. You know, Do they understand what you do and the value you add? And, and, and many times um, I think CEOs get the gist of what you do and the value you add if they've been through some near death experience where you've been able to sort of um, um, manage a process and make a bad uh, situation less bad if you like um I remember once I had a previous boss who who once said to me you know what do you do what 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 value do you add and I said listen I spend a lot of my time making things not happen um which is the perennial issue for people like us it's for you know we don't have a and l it's very hard to measure the value we add and I can't say I've increased revenue by sort of x percent um it's it's a bit of a dark art at times but um I think it's, it's always it's an internal education process.
0: Absolutely. But I think you, you talk about that near-death experience. I like that phrase. And um, we've had a universal one. Again, a bit like the need for talent. Well, one of the universal near-death experiences for a lot of people has been the impact of the pandemic and how mm-hmm. that put immense strain on organizations in so many ways, not just in terms of staff and delivery, supply chain, in terms of disrupting complete, you know, um, it could be in the case of product lines or ways to market, all these things were just broken down. And suddenly who rose from the ashes there is you know, the communications team who in some organisations may have been forgotten or undervalued, as you're saying, and suddenly there's an awareness that, well, hang on a minute, this is going to be our lifeblood into the future, being able to communicate with stakeholders who are all in a different scenario, all facing different circumstances. And you talked about um, certain leaders who, who do this well, and you mentioned Shane Elliott. I, I know one in the early pandemic as well um, was Andy Penn, the former CEO of Telstra. And just seeing some of the stuff that he was putting out, obviously someone who understood the, the impact and the power of this channel. Um, but as the CEO of Telstra, somebody who had a massive employee base, who had a massive partner um, network as well, an affiliate network, um, and had a, a responsibility to continue communicating mm-hmm. through the early stages of the pandemic and attracting talent, as we mm-hmm. talked about. There's videos on LinkedIn of him talking and the doorbell goes off and the dog starts barking as he's delivering an important announcement. Mm. And he and his team obviously decided to share that to reveal the humanity behind, okay. hey, yes, I'm the CEO and yes, there's perceptions of me and my ivory tower, but just keep in mind, I'm sitting at my desk dealing with a postie, interrupting a, a key meeting as well. So we're all in this together kind of thing. Mm. And just sharing that sense of humanity and vulnerability was
1: both simple but incredibly strategic I, I, one of the interesting things from your report was that um, around alan joyce the ceo of qantas i mean alan joyce has about over three hundred thousand followers um, but he doesn't post very much on linkedin but he's got a very high profile in the wider media more generally and i've always noticed that he's prepared to get out there and harness i suppose traditional media and do an interview and argue the point and contest the issue uh in a bit, in a way, a bit like a politician would, you really use the earned media, but that doesn't seem to sort of post too much follow up on on um, on LinkedIn. Or maybe when he does, people really listen. I, I don't, I don't know. But I thought that was a bit. interesting. I think he only he only posted three times in the in the period in your report, but it has, has three hundred thousand. You know, whereas someone exactly like right. my old boss Larry Diamond, he's got about forty thousand um, followers, but would you know he'd post or comment or you know. Several times a week, what I've had as CEOs don't ever say anything really negative. They don't criticize people. It's, you don't. Mm. Use, they don't use LinkedIn to have a debate because, I, I guess, because debates content you can you, you can end up down a down a dry creek bed. Um, sure, uh, but.
0: Um, i think there's two well from the two people that we've just mentioned i'll pull examples out i think some of this is in the report and some is just from what i've seen um through our you know research and whatnot um so with andy penn as an example i remember seeing a a post from him um a year after an accc i think i'm getting these facts right but a year after the accc handed down a ruling about um uh, the way they were incorrectly or falsely advertising to indigenous communities and Traditionally, this is the sort of issue that someone, any CEO would want to steer away from. Um, in any environment any communications environment in their case if you went back 12 months you'd see that there was a post from Andy Penn talking about the decision 12 months later when I came across it he was discussing the fact that they were still learning and still implementing learnings from that decision so it's not necessarily what we're saying in terms of picking fights online no I don't think there's there's much sense in that however addressing failings and being more transparent I think people have come to um, uh, expect that the facade, you know, the curtain's been pulled down because mm. of COVID mm. and people want a more authentic style of leadership. And I think the other one with, with Shane Elliott, as you mentioned before, um, the CEO of ANZ Bank, with Shane, it's really interesting to note that I've got absolutely no doubt that there are people supporting him with his communications. Mm. As, as you said before, if you're running a you know, $30 billion business or whatever, you should have that support. Mm. However, it is really clear to tell when Shane jumps on and comments on things that either are really important to him Mm. or when something comes through at a time when he's got his smartphone in his hand. And I think I saw one particular exchange where someone was criticizing something they were doing Mm. and maybe a little bit, uh, you know, provocative in their uh, response. And it was swift. It was blunt. It was to the point. It wasn't perfect by any grammatical measure, but his response came through, which basically said, look, we're doing it. Here's the evidence and away we go. And that cut it off. At the knees, it didn't go any further. I mean, that,
1: that's right, and that's been my experience. Sometimes, like when I was at ASIC, I I used to control the ASIC uh, Twitter feed. Me and, and another person, and sometimes if someone would say something really egregious or incorrect, I would jump on and just go, "Look, I'm sorry, that's actually not the case. Here, here are the facts. If you can be factual and respectful, um, that can actually be useful. But people notice that, and, and they sort of, I think they they support that.
0: Absolutely. The, the other thing Matthew mentioned there was just around Alan Joyce and the size of a following. And I know that you know we're often asked when we go in and talk to clients, well, who's leading the way? Who's the best example out there? And I think the simplest way to find that answer or the simplest um, response people can give is, well, who's got the largest following? Mm. This is old school vanity metrics for social mm. media. And if you look at Alan Joyce, as you said, there is a massive community there. And I would argue, and we don't work with Qantas, we don't work with Alan, mm. but I would argue that's an underutilized asset. And Mm. I think without going too far back with research, if you look at things like the marriage equality debate in Australia Mm. um, and and, um, the LGBTQI um, uh, rights movement, um, there were two very important platforms for Alan Joyce, obviously. Mm. And something where I imagine he probably gained a fair bit of uh, notoriety and interest and, and momentum with his network. And so... I don't have an answer but I imagine that your observation around his following size and his activity size may be due to factors like that and the reality that you know aviation was hard hit during the pandemic mm. that doesn't mean that leaders should go away and this was one of the other findings uh, in the report was you see leaders like the ceo of medibank who despite facing a cyber security threat m- maintained his presence and profile was communicating to audiences through linkedin during that rather than batting down the hatches and, and hoping it would all go
1: away oh totally it's, and that was that was an excellent example I mean, yeah, as a comms professional there's only one solution that's just communicate more don't leave a vacuum don't let one of your detractors come in there and, and fill the space. You've got to be present, consistent and, and authentic. And I think uh, the fellow from Medibank was, was good. It was a very tough situation, but uh, handled pretty well.
0: And when good leadership is measured. So that, that's yeah. what people remember. Um, and I think that the other point around size of network is what we did find through the research, there was zero correlation between the size of someone's following and their effectiveness in terms of audience engagement. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessarily about the number of people they had access to. It was entirely about the message. And some of the key themes that that we pulled out of that research were around the individual purpose and personalization. Mm-hmm. So sharing a personal Purposeful story narrative that gave you an insight as to what made that leader tick and connected their own personal journey with perhaps the commercial or corporate
1: objectives that that organisation was working towards. Yeah, there was that nice example from of the new CEO of Telstra. I forget her name, um, Vicky Brady. Yeah, that's right. About she'd come from Holbrook, you know, and how she'd had these mentors, and it was a beautiful story. Yeah, absolutely. um, uh, And just one of the other things I think you talk talk about communication being authentic um and you need to be mindful in all your written communication on this stuff that you need to just watch out for all that sort of corporate gobbledygook and just talking in sort of you know McKinsey speak which just you know just the passive voice and using jargon and acronyms and just um just people to switch off that they like this that you know people to see that and go what you know um and polly's do that a little bit um but um uh but I think, you know, guys like sort of Shane Elliott um, uh, do it when, yeah, well, uh, I think he's, yeah, I, I went to a lunch with Shane Elliott and uh, he it was a couple of his people and Shane just talked about how he, he spends time on Twitter and he, he, he addresses things and, you know, because it's important to him it's 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 that authenticity
0: because that's where his audience is and he's made comments about use of smartphones and social media in parallel and saying well if everyone uses a smartphone why would i not i've got to understand the world of my customer and my audience the the whole
1: world sits in the palm of your hand doesn't it exactly and
0: we're all addicted to it so so matthew one of the other things and maybe this is a slight deviation but you talked about larry larry diamond that is and, and and it's something that i'm personally interested in because we do get not pushback, but certainly reluctance when we talk to boards and executives around their own use and, and being more active and participating online. An example that we include in the report is uh, the much-publicised um, uh, exploits of Alex Malley, the former yeah. CEO of the CPA, mm-hmm. and, and I think what happened off the back of that was a bit of a ripple effect around um, the risk of the digital hero and, and when, I'm, when I mean risk, the key person risk of that person mm. either building a brand that is bigger than the organization or leveraging that brand to talk about things which were kind of, you know, tangential to core business. Mm. And that seems to have put a fair break, <laughs> handbrake on a lot of the progress in terms of boards having appetite for their executive team being visible online. You worked with Larry Diamond, who, as you said, had a very clear objective and was very active himself. What did, was there any pushback at a board or executive level or do you feel like that is something that still is talked about today and, and how do you handle it if there is? No, there was no
1: pushback because um, while when I was at Zip, Zip was a you know, $3 billion company listed on the ASX, but it still had the heart of a, of a startup, a fintech, and they, were in major, they were, it was a growth story and they were in a major growth expansion and it was basically communicate, communicate, sell, sell, sell. So just getting out there and fighting and you know, spreading the, the message via LinkedIn was, was completely um, uh, accepted. And indeed, uh, Zip had a new chairman who started about two years ago, Diane Smith-Gander, a very accomplished um, corporate executive who had been on the board of a number of major corporations. And she had a, a high profile all of her own and she was quite active on social media in her own right. So she was a supporter of Larry doing that, you know. Um, uh, so it was just seen as a, as a as a good tool to help us help us achieve what it needed to achieve. yeah.
0: What's well, interesting, what I'm hearing about that, and I agree with you, that proximity to social media plays a massive role. If you are personally comfortable with that as a director or as an executive, you are naturally going to advocate for your peers getting more involved because, you know, the the sum of many is much more powerful than the individual. So I agree with that. I I think what I'm hearing through your words around the experience with Zip and and Larry's activities too is this this trade-off between risk and reward. And so if we go back to that statistic around nearly 85% of the ASX 200 CEOs, all I can take from that, is that almost 85% see more risk in social media Mm. than reward. And yet you've given a very clear example, and I've certainly got plenty of leaders who recognize the reward is worth the risk. And once you do that, and and perhaps the barrier is is more about people taking the time to either be shown the case for social media and their individual participation Mm. as a CEO, or that, you know, for whatever reason, they just can't get access to that information or I haven't had access to that information to this point. Um, but once they are shown that story, once in, as you've described, yeah. once they see that, well, we have global expansion plans and we need to reach out to people and connect with people to fill our talent pipeline. Once that reward and the role that social media plays strategically in delivering against that is clear, the risks, the risks are forgotten
1: yeah. or at least managed. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Look, and I think, like Zip was and remains a company that's that's sprinting hard, and social media was another channel to get us. Like just before I did this podcast with you, I was just looking at a at a post Larry had. He's over in America at some conference, talking about who he's been speaking to, and uh, yeah, it, I guess the thing about it is is that is that creating that content, um, there's there's very low barriers to entry. Like if if you think you know, back twenty years ago, making a video. Uh, would have cost $50,000. Now it just costs nothing. Um, whereas, and then where would you put it? You know, like you know 20 years ago, the big issue was, oh, should should a company have a corporate video? Well, what's a corporate video? And where does it live? And how do you get access to it? And who gets to see it? Um, but now you can just create content in the palm of your hand and just post it to LinkedIn. It's fantastic. Um, the whole concept of being a digital creator, and that's how social media like, well, Instagram and TikTok, that, that's how that's what they're all about it's i guess the barriers the technological barriers to entry are much much lower and the costs are negligible
0: and the opportunity because of exactly that means that when leaders recognize they have an unfair advantage in this space when they recognize that they will outperform their company page often where there are a lot of investment in resources and and people and whatever managing those channels when they recognize that suddenly there's an immense opportunity to add value to any communications team. And, and importantly, as we talk about on this podcast, to protect and enhance their digital reputation. Mm. So, Matthew, okay, let's, let's pretend. Mm. <laughs> let's fast forward 12 months. We've talked about where we are today. We've talked about some of the reasons about why that might be. Let's fast forward 12 months. We're sitting down to have this conversation again in 2024. What needs to change or what needs to be done and by whom over these next twelve months, to ensure that that eighty-five percent number comes back to seventy, or even sixty or fifty, ideally. I mean, let let's get to zero, sure. But how do we work through mm. the, um, the the level of activity or inactivity that we're seeing today, so that in twelve months' time,
1: more active, more leaders are more active online. I suppose it's, it's going to be an, an iterative process, Roger. I, I don't think it's, there's going to be any, any major revolution. And it's about people just having a good experience. And also, it, it comes back to that wider issue we discussed previously about CEOs just getting to grips and understanding the value of communications more generally. Um, and I think longer term, though, as the age of CEOs... Um, CEOs are getting younger. I mean, Larry was in his forties. He was, you know, and if you look at the pages of the Fin Review, all these sort of startup CEOs, they're all people in their twenties and thirties. And, um, so, uh, and I think those digital natives—I think the term is—they'll um, be more inclined to you know, embrace the world of a handheld device and LinkedIn. And um, uh, I think yeah, it'll be a it, it'll be a gradual sort of process. But I, I can't see there be any sort of one-off um, revolution.
0: I hope gradual
1: still means at speed. <laughs> that's
0: all I can say. Well, I do I, hope the that there's...
1: And I think, you know, CEOs should just hire very experienced corporate affairs teams. That's, that, <laughs> that's, that's the key. I'll, I'll put a plug in for me and you. That's That's Absolutely. what they need
0: absolutely not. we're always here and happy to help as you know so look Matthew thank you so much for sharing your insights today if people have comments or questions from today's show or if someone wants to reach out about that next um, very experienced and well-resourced corporate affairs team what's the best way for them to reach you
1: uh, well I'm on I'm on LinkedIn just uh, just Matthew Abbott uh X ASIC. just drop me a message or you can um, you can just call me I, uh, my phone number is on my LinkedIn uh my LinkedIn site.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And look, I really do hope that this is a catalyst, not just for leaders, but for communications teams themselves who might be sitting there saying, well, you know, how, if my CEO is one of those 85%, how can we start to to turn the dial a little bit on that? So, Matthew, thank you so much for sharing your story on the Your Digital Reputation podcast.
1: Thanks, Roger, and thanks listeners. Thanks
0: again for listening If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks
1: again for listening.